From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. On your favorite podcast apps, you can find us there too. And we're reacting to the Greenbelt Report today, which is the big news at Queen's Park. And, you know, I'm going to say this to Mike Schreiner shortly, and he's going to be our guest. He's the leader of the Green Party of Ontario. I'm going to say to Mike Schreiner, nothing in this report was all that surprising, was it? I think that for months, we've been seeing the stories about Doug Ford Connected Developers happening to have the right plots of land in the green belt, and all of a sudden those plots of land become suitable for development. I don't think anyone's shocked by this, but now that a report has put it all together and told us exactly what's going on here, I'm wondering what kind of political damage it'll do, if any at all. And that's open for discussion, isn't it? Here's the quick notes of what's in the report. And you can see the story at londonnewstoday.ca right now. After the 2022 election, Premier Doug Ford directed Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark to look into, and this is a quote from the report, swaps, expansions, contractions, and policy updates for the Greenbelt. Over a timeline of three weeks, that's how long this played out over, Three weeks, government staff were instructed to find 22 parcels of Greenbelt land for development. 21 of those 22 were suggested by a staffer, Steve Clark's chief of staff, named Ryan Amato. Ryan Amato also received packages from two prominent housing developers, who also have connections to the progressive conservative government and the Doug Ford, at a dinner that he was at on September 14th. And the packages said, hey, here are the spots in the Greenbelt we think would be good for development. And lo and behold, a few weeks later in November, guess which spots in the Greenbelt get okayed for development? Yeah, you nailed it. And the percentages really are astounding. 7,400 acres were removed from the protected area of the Greenbelt. 92% of those 7,400 acres were removed as a result of developer influence on Amato, according to this report. Now, Amato's not named in the report, but he's just referred to as, as, as Steve Clark's chief of staff. So, we know who it is. Only 22 Greenbelt sites were examined, by the way, for development. Just those 22. They didn't look at any other ones, despite the fact that they met the criteria. In fact, some lands failed to meet the development criteria, and Lissick's report says the criteria was then changed to allow pieces of land owned by developers with access to the government to have protections removed. That is, again, I don't know if you want to use the word shocking, but it certainly lays it all out there for you, doesn't it? It certainly tells you that this was something that was done with at least some level of not really caring about the optics, the way this looked, who was impacted. They don't really care. So that tells me a couple things. And I'm going to be cynical for a second here. If you're going to do all this and you're going to have developers that Ford said at a news conference he is not friends with, 
if you're going to have developers get rich, and we're talking about making billions of dollars here. The auditor's report says more than $8 billion in profits for three particular landowners. Wouldn't you want to put some distance between them and yourselves? Wouldn't you want to say, avoid having them at stag and does or daughters' weddings or going to hockey games with said developers? If you were, say, Doug Ford? If you were even trying to hide it, wouldn't you want to sort of keep things under the radar a little bit? That is not what the premier did. Not what happened. They were just brazen about it. And again, did the premier know about the direction from the developers? I have no idea. That's not in the report. I find it hard to believe that he didn't. I find it hard to believe that Steve Clark didn't know that. But it's not in the report that he did. So if you were trying to keep things on the DL as far as whatever type of deal has been cooked up here, wouldn't you want to avoid hanging out with these people in such public ways? Premier didn't do it. And my cynical reasoning as to why that's the case is because they had a feeling they might get caught on this. They had a feeling that they might have a report come out about this and they didn't care because they don't think that you, voters of Ontario, will hold them accountable. They just thought, you know what? We can do whatever we want. Who cares how corrupt it looks? Who cares how bad the process is? Because no one's going to hold us accountable. Nobody who matters at the very least. Yeah, some people are going to be pissed off, but they wouldn't have liked us anyway. So let's just go ahead and do what we want. Consequences be damned because we are betting against the consequences even existing. That's my take on where we're at here. You may disagree, but that's my take on where we're at. So I think that... What I just said probably sounds pretty cynical to you, as it should, but I think I'm right too. I think I'm correct. They're just saying, hey, by the time it's 2026 and any sort of voter can do anything about this, this will be long forgotten. This is two and a half years in the future. Two and a half to three years in the future before we have to really think about this again. And people in Ontario will have forgotten all about this stuff. That's their bet. And the other thing is, only you and I, the voters of Ontario, can prove them wrong on this bet. And I am skeptical that we will. I am highly skeptical. But this rises to me past the level of any sort of corruption that the Wynn and McGinty governments were involved in. This is, to me is worse than gas plants. Gas plants was the worst thing that they did from a corruption perspective. This is worse than that. This is absolutely worse than that. This, this isn't the worst policy the Ford government has, but from a corruption and ethics perspective, this is the worst thing they've done. And this is worse than anything that was done during the Win McGinty years. So that being the case, even if that's how I feel, and maybe you feel that way, I don't know if there's going to be enough people in Ontario who feel that way. And they may just get away with it. And at the news conference today, which I didn't get a chance to see all of just because we're recording a podcast. At the news conference today, Doug Ford was asked directly, is Steve Clark going to get fired? Is this Ryan Amato going to get fired? And the answer is no. 
they acknowledged that there were some things that went wrong with the process here, but they said the result of the process will not change. So basically of the 15 things in the report, they said, well, 14 of them were going to go along with those recommendations. And the 15th one that says, hey, you should throw out the result of this flawed process, which you, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, admits that it was flawed. Uh, no, we're not going to do that, was Ford's response. So that should tell you how seriously they're taking this entire thing when they said it was a bad process, it was on me, and then they're not willing to revisit the result of said bad process. That should tell you exactly how serious they're taking this. And the answer, the answer is they're not taking it seriously at all. Not even a little bit. I think it's shameful. And I think that the people who have made the right quote-unquote bets in the development industry and are looking to make their billions, they're probably happy as a pig in shit today. Whatever, this is going to be Doug's problem. I'm still making my cash. Who cares? Probably how they feel, right? Why wouldn't it be? One other thing before we talk to Mike Schreiner, I'm going to talk with him about this too. The Ford government be it the premier himself or ministers or MPPs, they're going to tell you repeatedly, this is about housing. This is about housing. This is about housing. The report, Bonnie Lix's report, would tell you specifically, this is not about housing. And here's how you know. The planners, the people that work in the municipalities of Hamilton and York and Dufferin, the regions where this is being examined, where it's being looked at, or Durham, I should say, not different, Durham. They all said, yeah, no, we, don't, we can achieve the housing goals the province of Ontario set out for us without making any alterations to the Greenbelt. They said that. Andrea Horvath tweeted out a statement, who's the mayor of Hamilton, she tweeted out a statement earlier today, essentially saying exactly that. No, no, no. We, we didn't feel we ever needed the greenbelt space to hit our housing targets. Okay. So if that's the case, and that's what everyone involved thinks, why do we need to open the greenbelt at all? Unless this is about people getting rich. Maybe that's what this is about. Mike Moffat, who of course knows a ton about housing, he's been on this podcast several times, tweeted this out. The Ford government has a very good blueprint to get 1.5 million homes built. A blueprint that is explicit about not touching the greenbelt. They just need to follow it. Yeah, this was not about housing. This was not about housing. Not even a little bit. This was about getting people rich. And hey, maybe it's mission accomplished. And maybe even if they got their hands caught in the cookie jar, the Ford government isn't going to experience any real consequences. Let's talk to Mike Schreiner about this. He, of course, is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario, and he joins us here on the Craig Needles podcast to break down what we've heard and where it may go from here. Mike, thank you very much for doing this. We appreciate it. Hey, Craig, it's my pleasure to be on, and this is such a critically important topic, so thanks for inviting me. Uh, so today, I wasn't shocked, really, by anything in the report. I, I don't think anyone who's been paying attention to this closely would have been surprised. But now we kind of see it all from Bonnie Lissick, from the Auditor General's office, in black and white. When you saw the report, what did you think? Well, it just confirms for me that the Ford government doesn't really care about everyday Ontarians. They are willing to break the rules 
to roll the red carpet out for a handful of wealthy, well-connected elite land speculators who are going to profit, and we now have a number on it, of at least $8.3 billion in windfill profits because of the stroke of a pin from the premier. It's just outrageous, especially when the Auditor General confirmed what many reports over the last year and a half have said, that this land is not needed to address the housing crisis. As a matter of fact, it's going to make the housing affordability crisis even worse. So it's just outrageous that the government would essentially, they the process was so flawed that the Auditor General didn't even refer to it as a process um, in being really directed by literally, you know, three land speculators telling the government what to do and then cashing in at a tune of $8.3 billion. So there's so much to get to from that. I, I want to circle one part of the auditor's report because the, the, the premier and the housing minister, uh, they did a newser that uh, is, is going on as you and I talk, where we just saw the sort of the, the front half hour of it. Uh, that they're saying repeatedly over and over and over again, this is the progressive conservative messaging yesterday. This is about housing. Ontarians need housing. Ontarians need housing. One thing they haven't addressed is within the Auditor General's report, she notes that the regions involved here, so Hamilton and Dufferin and York, they all could have hit their housing targets without even touching the green belt, so say the planners in those communities. So I have a very hard time believing this is about housing. Oh, this is not about housing. I mean, the government's own hand-picked housing affordability task force said land is not what's creating the housing uh, crisis. We've had numerous professional planning associations and others show that we have enough land already approved for development to not just build the 1.5 million homes that we all agree need to be built, but to build 2 million homes. So this has nothing to do with housing. As a matter of fact, it's likely going to make the housing affordability crisis even worse because as the Auditor General confirmed, many others have said, none of this land is serviced. Like it doesn't have sewers, water lines, roads, hydro lines uh, going to these lands. Whereas the land that's approved for development, especially that within existing urban boundaries, already has the servicing in place to build those homes and do it in a way that's more affordable because you don't have to build all that infrastructure. So this is clearly about a handful of wealthy, well-connected elite land speculators who donate to the conservative government, who according to the Auditor General, directed the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing's chief of staff to circumvent all the rules in order to get their land open for development so they could cash in at a tune of $8.3 billion, which actually is probably a conservative estimate because that's based on numbers from 2016. And you know how much land has gone up since then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably well over $10 billion easily by now, you would think. If, if we're just applying the same standard to selling a random property in that region, um, it, it's, it's probably, it may be getting close to $15 billion. So it's a exactly. massive, massive amount of money. Ryan Amato, the premier's chief of staff, according to the premier and according to Steve Clark, they didn't commit to that person losing their job. He's the one that's getting these envelopes from developers. Uh, do you think that Ryan Amato should be fired, Mike? Oh, absolutely. And I think the minister should resign as well. Uh, I mean, somebody needs to be held accountable for this. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I would say the buck stops with the premier. But, you know, I was just listening to the premier's news conference. And one of the things I found so infuriating 
was the premier keeps repeating this thing that, oh, all this land is right next to land that already has housing. I'm sorry. The premier should actually go out and visit this land. And anybody can see videos that I have on my social media feeds where I'm literally standing in the middle of farmer's fields. No housing anywhere around it. This is the land they want to pave over. Some of the best farmland in all of North America. At a time when people are struggling to put food on the table because global food inflation is so high, we need to be protecting our local farmland and food security. I've filmed near wetlands that are vital to protecting us from flooding and cleaning our drinking water, especially at a time, you know, when people are worried about their basements being flooded, you know, our air quality is, is under threat due to all the forest fires. Um, people are experiencing the health impacts of extreme heat. So for the premier to stand there and say, oh, you know, these are fields of weeds or all this land is right next to land that's already developed, it's just not true. And I've got videos on my social media feed that show it. And so people need to understand that what the premier is doing is he's threatening the land that feeds us, threatening the land that cleans our drinking water, protects us from extreme weather events. So a handful, and according to the Auditor General, three land speculators will get most of the $8.3 billion or higher windfall profits that come from this Greenbelt land scheme. And something to be clear about, when when you or I or, or anyone else says, oh, these are progressive conservative connected developers, these, gonna, these developers are connected to the Ford government, that's not just us saying that and making assumptions. Like there's very clear indicators here. And that's right in the Auditor General's report. The, 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 these were not just the three developer development winners that were picked randomly out of a hat here. These are people with clear connections. Well, not only do they have clear connections as donors, which has been documented a number of times now by a variety of media outlets, um, the Auditor General made it very clear that envelopes were literally given to the housing minister's chief of staff telling that person whose land to make available. And then that person did an end run around all the rules to ensure that those were the parcels of land open for development. I mean, the whole thing is just outrageous. It shows you that the Ford government isn't out for the people of Ontario. They're out for a literally, you know, like three or four um, wealthy, well-connected elite land speculators. There are 15 recommendations in the Auditor General's report. The Premier says they're going to go by 14 of the 15, which sounds great until you realize the one they're not going to do is hit the pause button at the very least on these development plans. So I have a hard time listening to the Premier say, well, this was the wrong process and I own that. Well, he's also saying no one's going to lose their job and the result of that process is still going to go forward here. And this was something that essentially was put together in three weeks. We're talking about developing environmentally sensitive lands here in this province that are protected for a reason. And we're going to decide which parts of that we're doing in three weeks. That's the other thing that's mind blowing. Well, it's just outrageous that the premier is saying no one's going to be held accountable for this. Like imagine, imagine, you know, anyone participating in such a scheme that led to such a damning report and the premier saying no one's going to be held accountable. That's outrageous. And the fact that the premier is going around saying, oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, 
you know, put, move forward on 14 of the 15 recommendations. Well, those are the 14 that are about process that will affect future decisions. The one they're not going to do is the most important one, which says, you know what? Let's listen to the people of Ontario. Let's premier, let's keep your promise. Let's not allow these handful of land speculators to profit at our expense and let's reverse this decision. That's the most important recommendation. And the premier's not going to follow that one. And so I've been calling, I, I think some of the other opposition leaders have called for, we need to bring the legislature back. We need to reverse the legislation that enables this land to be taken out of the greenbelt. And we need to reverse the legislation that removed the conservation easements on the Duffin Rouge Agricultural Preserve, which is the vast majority of the 7,400 acres that are being taken out of the Greenbelt. And that is some of the best farmland in all of North America. That's the other troubling part is we've got, you know, we heard about affordability issues from the premier and there are in the housing sector, there, there clearly are, but guess what? There's also affordability issues at the grocery store. And you know what's not going to solve that problem? Getting rid of a bunch of farmland. In fact, it's going to exacerbate that problem. Exactly. I mean, the two biggest affordability uh, issues that people are facing are food and housing. Paving over our farmland, destroying our local uh, food supply chains is only going to make the food uh, crisis, affordability crisis, even worse. I mean, even the ministry, like it's clear from the Auditor General's report that even the Ministry of Food, Agriculture and Rural Affairs said this was going to do damage to the food and farming economy and food security. Uh, and then secondly, on the housing side of things, I mean, there's been numerous studies out there that show and, and you know, like literally looking at tax, uh, property tax data in places like Ottawa, for example, that it costs far more to service sprawl, which is what these greenbelt lands are going to be used for, than it does to actually build within existing urban boundaries. So if we're worried about housing affordability, let's build homes that people can actually afford close to where they want to live, work, play, spend time with family, instead of what the premier is proposing is a plan that helps the rich get richer, it's gonna make the housing affordability crisis worse, and it's gonna force young families in particular to drive much further to have any hope of being able to afford a home, which is only gonna increase uh, their cost of living because of commuting costs. So this has nothing to do with addressing the real affordability concerns that people are facing. So what should the premier be doing right now then, in your opinion? Well, I think the premier should just say, you know what? We made a mistake. We're going to listen to the people of Ontario. I'm going to keep my promise. We're not going to develop the green belt. I'm going to hold my housing minister accountable for this and ask for his resignation. And we're going to move forward with a plan to rapidly increase housing supply that people can afford within the communities they want to live close to where they work so we can build more affordable connected communities uh, for people. You know, we this government is wasting so much time trying to benefit a handful of wealthy, well-connected land speculators. Meanwhile, so many Ontarians are struggling to pay rent struggling to have any hope of being able to afford a home. Like, let's get to building homes in communities that people can afford. 
Yeah, that's the other thing is for homes that people can afford. The homes that would be here are going to be expensive homes. And I'm not saying that we don't need homes that may have some level of expense to them. I think we need more options all over the spectrum of housing costs. However, we don't need to build them in this particular spot. And that's what I keep coming back to is there's no need to build where we're talking about building. Well, exactly. And, and, and I agree. We need all types of housing. We need... Uh, along, you know, all demographics and, and you know, incomes, et cetera. We need a whole range of housing solutions, uh, including actually having the provincial and federal government get back into housing again, building nonprofit co-op and supportive housing, which we haven't been doing since the 1990s and the housing crisis has gotten worse. But I will tell you, no matter what kind of housing you're going to build, we've had numerous studies now including from the government's own hand-picked housing affordability task force, who have clearly stated that opening the green belt for development will not solve the housing crisis. We already have enough land approved for development, not only to build the 1.5 million homes that we all agree we need to build, but to actually build 2 million homes. So this isn't about housing. It's not about affordability. It's about a few rich people having massive billion dollar profits and the rest of us paying the price for that. That's, it's frustrating. And I think that, and maybe I'm being cynical here, Mike, I think that what they're counting on is Ontarians not caring because it feels as though if they really wanted to get things sorted here the right way, they could have done this in a little less expeditious way in a little less obvious way and they probably get away with it. Do you think this government was operating on the assumption of, hey, we can do what we want because no one's going to hold us accountable, at, least, at the very least in the ballot box? Well, I, I would say that it's clear the government doesn't care about everyday Ontarians. Otherwise, they wouldn't be breaking all the rules to help their you know wealthy, well-connected PC donors. Um, I think the people of Ontario do care, uh, but I think the premier just doesn't care about them and isn't going to listen to them. I mean, Craig, I have seen, you know, keep your greenbelt promise, don't develop the greenbelt signs all over the province of Ontario, including, you know, my own riding in Guelph. Um, I've uh, been at rallies all across the province where hundreds of people are coming out and saying to the premier, keep your greenbelt promise don't develop the green belt. And in many cases, I've talked to people who have said, you know, I've traditionally been a conservative voter and I'm so outraged um, about what the premier's doing to, you know, benefit, you know, a few wealthy people at my expense. Uh, so I think the people of Ontario do care. They are speaking out. I'm asking people to continue to speak out and I will be there with you speaking out against what this government is doing. But unfortunately, the government doesn't seem to care about what everyday Ontarians have to say. That's that's the, the frustrating part, obviously. So uh, last thing on this, Mike, before we go, because I know it's, it's, it's a busy day. This is, I, I think, as bad or at the very least as indefensible as any series of actions that a government has done as long as I've been working in news. And that's approaching 20 years now. Uh, not so much for the the impact it's necessarily going to have, but just uh, the, the upsides were so limited with the exception of a very, very small group of people. And it's upsetting that we've gotten essentially to this point. Would you agree with my assessment here that this kind of rivals anything we've seen in, in Canadian politics recently? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is right up there with the whole gas plant scandals, uh, for sure. 
uh, you know what, for a government to betray the public trust, to break its promise. And the premier explicitly, either he or as housing minister, I've documented um, almost 20 times where they explicitly said and promised not to develop the Greenbelt, to break that promise. So literally like three wealthy elite land speculators can cash in $8.3 billion or more at our expense the expense to our food security, the expense to our food and farming economy, elevated uh, risk to flooding and other climate fueled extreme weather events, to actually making the housing affordability crisis even worse because sprawl is so expensive to service. For the premier to do all of that when we're in the middle of a housing and food affordability crisis, and he's gonna make that worse. It's just outrageous, it's infuriating, and I understand why so many Ontarians are, are upset about this. Mike, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes and, and, and talking about this really important story with me. I'm glad we could do it. Hey, you know, my pleasure, Craig, and you know, I really appreciate you uh, shedding light on this story. You know, it's a really important one, and I, I know this is a week that, you know, most people aren't tuned into politics being, you know, the, the August uh, long weekend week. Uh, but this is such an important topic. So thank you for inviting me to be on. I like to think that it's probably going to come up again in September, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Take care. Uh, thanks, Ms. Mike. That's Mike Schreiner, leader of the Green Party of Ontario here on the Craig Needles podcast, which of course you can find at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and on your favorite podcast app, we thank you for downloading and listening to and subscribing to the Craig Needles podcast. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.